turn your Bibles to the book of Jonah, and I'll give you a few minutes because it'll take you a few minutes to find the book of Jonah. And it's okay to use your table of contents. That's not a mark of unspirituality, okay? It's all right. If you don't have cheater tabs like I do, been to Bible college, seminary, but I love the tabs, all right? It's not beneath me to have little uh, cheaters to find those books. And Jonah is a what they call a minor prophet. Uh, you have your big prophets like Ezekiel, Daniel... Uh, Isaiah, and then you have what are called minor prophets. That's like Nahum, Habakkuk, Jonah, Joel. And it wasn't there because they're in the minor leagues spiritually, okay? You got your major leagues and you got your triple AAA teams, you know? No, it just means their books are shorter, so uh, we call them minor prophets. And so Jonah, if you kind of find Daniel and Ezekiel and go to the right, maybe four or five books... You'll, you'll land on Jonah if you uh, want to try it that way. Of course, if you have a phone or tablet, then you throw the curve off for everybody, so make it easy. But we're going to look in for, for a few weeks, several weeks, maybe five weeks, the book of Jonah. This morning, we're going to uh, get into it, and as I was thinking, uh, I might split this in half depending on how far we get this morning, but this will uh, just be a way of introducing us into uh, the book of Jonah. And uh, uh, in thinking about that, I was reminded of something that happened back in 1929 uh, in one of the games of the classic Rose Bowl football game in 1929. Uh, Roy Regals desperately wanted his team to win, uh, and the scores were tied. And at a very crucial moment in the game, Uh, Roy Regals scooped up a loose football, and he began to run for the goal line. He cut in and out and eluded tacklers and breathtaking athleticism, sprinted toward the distance of the field. He ran 70 yards to the field goal, and he was tackled just one yard shy of the goal line by his own teammate. Now you may be wondering why. Because Roy got disoriented and he was running the wrong direction into his own goal line and his teammate tackled him before they had that touchback. And so for all his life and all his remarkable uh, athletic abilities... He was known by the nickname of Roy Wrong Way Regals. You can look it up. Interesting story and his claim to fame, sadly. But uh, Jonah, uh, we could call Jonah the wrong way prophet. Uh, A prophet who went the wrong direction of what God told him to do. And so over these next several weeks... We're going to look into Jonah. I've never preached through the book of Jonah, of course, read the book of Jonah, and had been wanting to do that for some time and thought this was a good season to do it. And uh, the more I uh, began to get into it, I thought it would be a blessing to us as we look into it. Now, when we talk about the book of Jonah, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Even our graphic has it on there. What? Well, 
but it doesn't say a whale. It just says a great fish, kind of like people say, well, you know, that apple that Adam and Eve, well, it doesn't say an apple. It was a fruit of the tree, but we say uh, a whale, even though it was certainly a large fish that we'll, we'll kind of explore that a little later. But Jonah, besides that being kind of our first response, Jonah is a message of God's grace. And uh, I hope that we can, we can really, that becomes, when you think of the book of Jonah, uh, that before you think of a big fish, that you think about the grace of God and how Jonah really teaches us and illustrates the marvelous grace of God. Christianity is known as a uh, religion, if we could call it that, a religion of grace. Um, we believe in grace. We believe, we sing about grace. We have churches named grace. I mean, grace is a big part of what we believe and what we understand about the gospel. Grace teaches us that God does for others what we ourselves could never do, and as we'll see in Jonah, would never do. That God really is more gracious than we are or ever will be. You see, we have a, if we're honest with ourselves, if we were kind of in charge of things, uh, now I in no way uh, attribute any theological value to the movie Jim Carrey did, remember where he played God, you know, and he thought he could kind of, remember that movie? Oh, don't look so spiritual. I know you all watch movie, all right? All right? And, you know, he realized that things were a little more complicated. Now, certainly that's no way parallels the God of the Bible, but it illustrates, of nothing else, that our tendency sometimes, while we may not verbally say it, we might kind of think it somewhere, you know, a God, if I was running the show, this is how I would do it. And really, that's a very profane, arrogant statement to think that somehow we are really more, more gracious and more uh, loving than God is. But sometimes we say that. And so, as we'll see, we'll think about, well, what do you mean I'm not as gracious as God? Well, if we're honest, there, might, there probably is people that if we had the choice, we would probably choose not to spend eternity with some people. Now, I'm not talking about people in your, you know, family. I'm not going, you know, hopefully you, you're going to include them in. But we have people in our world and culture that, uh, and even just in, in society, that their very actions have done everything to demonstrate that they, on a cultural, civil level, have really don't deserve to be here on earth because of their evil actions. And there's even ho- ho- uh, ho- uh, hosts of people, either by their culture or even race. We may not say it in our politically correct world, but in honestly, we just really don't have much use for certain people. Well, Jonah was kind of like that, and we'll see that in a little bit. You see, that's not where God begins grace. God, this is how God operates. God starts with prostitutes and then works his way down from there, if you want to say it that way. Grace is a gift. Grace is unmerited favor. Grace is a gift that costs everything to the giver and nothing to the receiver. It is given to those, grace is given to those who do not deserve it, barely recognize it, and probably won't entirely appreciate it as we should. We'll get to this in several weeks, but in Jonah 2.9, there's a statement by Jonah of all people, given what we'll look at this morning, where it says, salvation is of the Lord. 
And that's really an, a, a good, a good uh, theme, that salvation belongs to the Lord. Why? Because grace belongs to the Lord, and we're going to see that demonstrated in the weeks ahead. Jonah, really, if you think about it, Jonah was the worst missionary. He really was. He was terrible. I mean, at the beginning... You know, at the beginning, he's, he's running from God. God says, we'll look at this. You know, God tells him to go to Nineveh. We'll look at that and explain that. Uh, and he runs away from God. And in the end of the book, he's arguing with God. And in the middle, he's praying and preaching. Jonah is not the hero of this book. You know who the hero of the book is? And don't say the fish. God is the hero. This is a book about God. It's a book about how we see God and understand God's gracious sovereignty. The fish is mentioned four times in the book of Jonah. The city of Nineveh is mentioned nine times. Jonah is mentioned 18 times, and God is mentioned 38 times. So who do you think is top billing of the story of Jonah? The book is about God and how marvelous his grace is, even to those who run away from God. Again, just a few little quick observations as we begin this this morning. It's always sometimes to get our feet into it because it helps us as we move along to understand some of these things. And just a few observations. I believe that the story of Jonah is a true historical story. Uh, in later weeks, we'll kind of get into some issues. But I believe, as I believe the entirety of Scripture is historically reliable, historically accurate. I really believe uh, that Jonah was a real person. Uh, He really fled to a place called, and he ran away to a place called Tarshish. Uh, He was really swallowed whole by a large great fish. Uh, He really did survive for three days in the belly of this fish, and he was actually, sorry, vomited up onto the ground uh, by this fish which uh, I always think of how getting back in the will of God can be messy sometimes. So we'll save that for a few weeks later. But I accept that the book of Jonah is true. It's not a myth. It's not a fable. It's not a fairy tale. But I believe it is a true story. Now, there's several different aspects we can look at. But to me, the one that kind of just the argument that trumps everything is the fact that Jesus Christ himself thought that this was a true historical story because, and you can look it up in uh, the Gospels, but Jesus actually referred to Jonah, remember, and I'm paraphrasing, when he said, just as Jonah was three days in the belly of the whale, so shall the Son of Man be three days before he's resurrected. Again, I paraphrased it. So Jesus attributed that Jonah was an actual historical event that Jesus tied into it one of the most significant historical events of his, the resurrection to the story of Jonah. Do you think he would do that to a fairy tale or fantasy? I don't think so. And by the way, if anybody knows whether it's true or not, I think Jesus would, wouldn't you? Now think about it. We accept, and if you're a Christian, you accept it, because I don't believe you can be a Christian if you do not accept the resurrection. We accept the fact that God could raise a man from the dead being in, buried for three days. We accept that he could raise a man bodily. We, we accept that. That's a cornerstone of our, of our faith. 
Why is it implausible to believe that God could not create a fish so large that he could accomplish this? And again, we spend a lot of time on that, but that's usually the place where people get hung up. And again, in later weeks, we'll talk a little more about that. Jonah's a short book. It's only 48 verses, 1,300 words, four chapters. You could probably read the book of Jonah in about 30 minutes or so. And I encourage you to read the book of Jonah. Read it all in one setting because then you will get the flow of the story and the events that we'll look at. The other thing is Jonah is a very revealing story. We think, well, okay, here we're going to go on a fishtail story. No, Jonah is a very revealing story. And what does it reveal? It reveals a couple of things, and we've alluded to those things. It not only reveals who God is, the nature of God, but also reveals who we are. Because really, we learn who we are when we set ourselves against the nature and person of God. Amen? Remember Isaiah? who saw the holiness of God, and what was his response? Woe am I, a man of unclean lips. You don't realize how dirty the house is till you open the shades and let the light in. And the light of the gospel, the light of who God is, reveals our own hearts. And so as we move along, even though Tarshish was a real geographical location, I'm sure that some of us, most of us at one time or another, and maybe even right now, have taken our own ships the opposite direction to a place called Tarshish, okay? I'm sure we've all run the other way at one time or another, or maybe you're sitting here today and you are in the process of running away. And we know how creative God can be to get us back to where he wants us to be. Right? Let's pray. Heavenly Father, open our ears and our minds and hearts to your truth. We know that, Lord, in this moment that we have together, Lord, you speak to us through your word. Lord, let this prophet, this man that, God, you demonstrated grace through, Lord, let these words speak to our lives and be encouragement to us. We pray and ask this in Jesus' name, amen. We're calling this the gospel according to Jonah. As I said, we're going to get to a certain point, and I have a feeling I'm going to split this up so we don't try to do it in a rush. But I want us to look at three things, and we'll probably just get to the first two this morning for time's sake. And this morning, I want us to make three observations. I hope that you... Uh, get engaged, maybe take a note or two. You know, hey, just may God may tell you something this morning. Hey, this is a good place for that to happen. But uh, I would encourage you to do that. But we're going to look at, first of all, the call that God gave. And let's look at the first two verses. And I hope that you have your Bibles, even though I've put the verses 1, 2, and 3 on the screen. But um, make use of your own Bible. That's the way you learn. So look at these first. uh, This is just verse 1 and 2, and we're going to stop there and just talk about these for a minute. Now the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, that great city, and call out against it, for their evil has come up before me. Kind of reminded me of uh, the words that God gave to Moses when he talked about the cry of the Israelites have come up to him, if you remember that. Now, you might have a version that says, Arise, go to Nineveh. Uh, in the Hebrew, uh, literally, it means, or would word, Jonah, get up, go to Nineveh now, okay? Without delay, do it right now. Just one phrase uh, changed this man's life. If you 
can remember when a phone call in the middle of the day or in the middle of the night changed your life. Things can happen like that. Sometimes uh, it can be a good thing, you know, a phone call that the publisher's clearinghouse has been at your house looking for you. That could be a good thing, right? Hey, don't be so spiritual. That'd be a great thing, all right? They showed up at, in Princeton Manor. That would be great at my house, all right? Uh, but sometimes it isn't those phone calls that change things. It's the phone calls when uh, somebody's been taken to the hospital or there's been an accident or one of your children is in jail because of a DUI or something. Those things have a way of changing all of a sudden your day. They, they change life. They, they alter things. Life can be very unpredictable. And with that, oftentimes, sometimes God's direction into the believer's life can be unpredictable. And one of the things that in this call of God to Jonah that we need to kind of kind of keep in the background, kind of like a program running in the background uh, of your computer, is that obedience to God's word, obedience to God's direction, his word, is never optional. Let me say that again. Obedience to God's word. God gave a clear word to Jonah to arise and go to Nineveh, okay? Obedience to God's word is never optional. Jesus himself tied obedience into true love for him. He said, if you love me, you'll do what? You'll keep my word. The Bible speaks about how obedience is better than sacrifice. We're okay doing a lot of the religious stuff, but when it comes down to doing what God says, we kind of hedge on that. So obedience is certainly never optional. Now, what was Jonah to do? Jonah was to go, and we'll talk about Nineveh in just a minute, and it says that he was to go to Nineveh and call out against it or preach against it. Uh, This was not a message of, Nineveh, God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Uh, This is not a message of, uh, Nineveh, your best life is now. Nineveh, every day is a Friday. That is not the message. This is a message of judgment. This is a message of calling out against this city, this wicked city. Uh, remember, Jonah, if you, and again, some of this, you can, if you have a study Bible, you can look at all this uh, information. But Jonah, uh, his day job, he was a prophet, a messenger of God, to primarily the nation of Israel was split in two. And if you don't know Bible history, um, then uh, you might need to look into that. But the nation of Israel at this period of time, about 750 years, give or take, before the birth of Jesus is when this took place, the nation of Israel was split in two. You had the northern kingdom and the southern kingdom. The northern kingdom, sometimes this gets confusing, is referred to Israel. The southern kingdom is referred to as Judah, very good. You've been, you've been doing your homework. That's good. And so Ju- uh, um, Jonah, his day job primarily was dealing with the folks in his, in his homeland, which is more in the northern uh, kingdom of Israel. That's kind of where he operated. And this was very unusual for a prophet because most of the time God's direction to the prophets was to go and speak out against the evil of their own people. This was unusual because God called Jonah, a prophet of God, to go and speak out against a nation that wasn't even a part of Israel. This was a 
foreign nation. This was a pagan nation. This was, a, I, this was just a rotten, evil nation. They were not part of the covenantal people of God. But just to kind of make a little snapshot here, as we'll talk later, is does this not remind us and show us right here in the Old Testament of God's heart, not just for Israel, but God's heart for the world? Right here. That's pre-cross. God has a heart for the nations. And here's a good reminder to do that. Um, Evil, evil, evil is the only way you could characterize Nineveh. Uh, Nineveh was the capital of the nation of Assyria, okay? That was the the big power of its day, okay? That was the uh, Russia and the United States combined. They controlled and dominated much of the world. And Nineveh was the capital of that city. And the Assyrians, they were known for their brutality and evil. When you think of a group of people today that are known for their brutality and unusual evil and cruelty in in murder and warfare, who put videos on internet and show their atrocities, we think automatically of who? ISIS, right? And I thought that's a good parallel to think about just the people that are just, I mean, you know, the, the, the stories of where they have controlled certain parts of uh, the region over in Iraq and Syria and the stories that people tell of the brutality of selling young women and children into sex slaves and the abuse and the murder and the... It's just horrible. And so when I hear those things, I realize, you know what, I'm like Jonah. God, let's just not waste time with these people. Let's just just nuke them and get rid of them. We don't... I do not want to spend eternity with them, right? But you know what that reveals? That reveals, you know what? I don't have a heart like God. And that's where I can't quite understand that. Now, the reason I bring that out is because that's kind of the closest way we could try to draw a a line between what Jonah was going through and the way that he viewed the Assyrians. It would be maybe parallel for him to be asked by God to go and speak out against uh, this group of people, it would almost be like taking a survivor of the Holocaust who became a Christian and asking them to go and share the gospel at a reunion of SS officers. Do you get the idea of how... Because we think, oh, come on, man, you know... What's the big deal? What is the big deal? It's a big deal. But God's directions are often very unpredictable, aren't they? Remember, Jonah's going to reveal our hearts because just as we have our own Tarshish that we have fled to or maybe we're there right now, Nineveh not only was a real historical natural city, and by the way, the prophet Nahum speaks a lot about the evils that went on there. You can study that at some other time. But we all have our Ninevehs. You think, well, what do you mean our Ninevehs? Not talking about a geographical location, but we all have our Ninevehs. What's a Nineveh to us? A Nineveh is whatever pulls you out of your comfort zone that God says, go and do this. Eh, don't think so. A Nineveh is a place that God calls you where, or to do something that you just don't want to do. That's your Nineveh. Nineveh is the people who have hurt you deeply, and God says, I want you to go to them 
and I want you to forgive them, and I want you to love them. In fact, buy a gift for them on your way. Nope, not going to do that. Getting on a boat, going to Tarshish. You with me? I told you it can be revealing. Nineveh, Nineveh is, can be danger. Nineveh's discomfort. Nineveh is whatever you reject that God loves deeply. What do you do when God says go to, and you put in the blank there, whatever it is, whatever your Nineveh is, and you just can't stand those people, can't, you, just, you just can't even fathom doing anything good or obeying God? Well, we need to think about that because sooner or later, guess what? God's going to call you to a Nineveh if he hasn't already. God's going to push that button. And how you decide, Jonah, might be a little help to us. So as we move along in the next several weeks, think about what is that Nineveh in my life? Well, that's the call that God gave, first of all. But secondly is let's look at the man that God chose, the man that God chose. Now, if you want to look at Jonah, the Bible really doesn't say much about him, and he's mentioned in 2 Kings 14.21, and it says that he was born in a place called Gad-Hypher, which was near Nazareth. Anybody know what happened or who was born in Nazareth? Sure, Jesus was. I thought this was interesting. Now, I wouldn't go and start another church over this, this idea because he can't prove it, but I found it interesting that Jewish tradition, uh, there's no scripture to this, but a Jewish tradition in their history taught that Jonah was the son of the widow of Zareph, Zarephath that Elijah raised from the dead, that Jonah is that son that was raised from the dead. That's what Jewish tradition taught. Just put that and file that away. Don't, don't, you know, put that back there in the maps. You know, they're not as inspired, so uh, you can hang on to that, all right? Uh, but the man that God chose, what we learn here running in the background, is that, first of all, we, we you know, remember that obedience to God's word is never optional, the thing we need to remember as we, we look at the man Jonah, the person of Jonah, is that disobedience to God's word is always costly. It's always costly. Jonah reminds us of that. Look at verse 3. It should be on the screen. After he was told to rise and go to Nineveh, you would think a prophet of God, man of God... Right? He would obey God. That's what you're supposed to do. Is that what he did? No, that's not what he did. You feeling like Jonah a little bit already? Huh? You're like, you know what? I kind of identify with this guy. Uh, You know, don't identify with him too much, all right? But look at verse 3. But Jonah, God said, go and preach against Nineveh. But Jonah rose to do what? To flee to Tarshish. From the presence of the Lord. How many of you know that? Number one, that was a dumb idea. Just ask Adam and Eve how that worked out for them, right? How did that fleeing from the presence of God, how did that work out for you and your family? Not so good, right? The book of Revelation even talks about, I was thinking about this, it even talks about a day of judgment in which when the earth is 
uh, under the judgment of God, that those who have rejected the, the Christ will call for the rocks to fall on them rather than to be under the presence of God in judgment. But Jonah rose to flee, run, run, baby, run, to Tarshish from the presence of the Lord. He went down to Joppa, we'll talk about that, and he found a ship going to Tarshish. So he paid the fare and went down into it to go with them to Tarshish, and here it is again, away from the presence of the Lord. There's a lot of stuff in verse 3. And I think after this, this is where we're going we're gonna to pause and we'll pick up the rest of it. But I just want to kind of finish this out about the man that God chose. Look at verse 3. He ran from the Lord and he headed to this place called Tarshish. Now, now, I don't have a map up here, but you can, uh, you can look it up. It's not complicated. Nineveh, uh, from where he was, Nineveh was about 500 miles northeast of where Jonah was. Now, Nineveh, to give you a little modern day, Nineveh in today would be outside the city of Mosul in Iraq. Does anybody remember hearing about Mosul and the fight and the warfare that goes on in Mosul? Well, Nineveh would have been just right outside of that in modern-day Iraq. Uh, Archaeologists, again, you can look this up because everything on the Internet's true, right? No, you can look it up. That's what Abraham Lincoln said. Um, some of you will. All right. Archaeologists have actually found the ruins of the ancient city of Nineveh. Not necessarily Christians trying to prove the Bible, but just archaeologists looking for history. They actually found uh, the remnants that they say are uh, the ancient city of Nineveh because Assyria was kind of of a predecessor of the um, uh, uh, part of Iraq. And now Tarshish, okay? So here, get this. Nineveh, where Jonah is, is 500 miles northeast, okay? God says, go to Nineveh, 500 miles northeast. Lots of flights going that day, right? He doesn't do that. He, gets, he goes the other direction to a place called... Uh, he goes down to get on a port in Joppa, or Tarshish, rather. And that was about 2,000 miles west in the opposite direction, which would be near modern Spain, okay? So instead of going 500 miles to do what God said, he went in the opposite direction and went about 2,000 miles to Tarshish. Got on a boat in Joppa and went to Tarshish. That'd be like God saying, I want you to go and minister to some folks in Times Square in New York City. And you get on... South, I, you know, iflysw.com, and you look up the first flight to go to L.A., and I'm not talking about lower Alabama. I'm talking about Los Angeles. <laughs> he didn't want to go near that place. This is really interesting. We're still in verse 3. Look at this, look at this phrase. It says he went down to Joppa. Something revealing here about the way Jonah or anyone who runs away from God. Joppa, uh, that was a port city where ships, uh, you know, a lot of ships for commerce and travel. Interesting, kind of a little side note, Joppa 
800 years forward, guess who we find in Joppa? None other but the apostle Peter. And it was in the town of Joppa in Acts 10 that Peter received a vision and revelation of God to take the gospel to who? Gentiles. Thought that'd be a cool freebie there for you to see the connection there. But there's a couple of Joppa. When it says he went down to Joppa, that's true on two levels. It's kind of a natural and a spiritual. First, to get to Joppa, Jonah had to travel in a downward route to the seacoast port of Joppa. There was a physical truth there. But secondly, remember, he's not just on a tra- he's not just traveling to be traveling. He is running from God. He's running from the presence of God. So not only did it physically take him downward, he spiritually when you run from God, guess what? You travel downward away from the presence of God. He went downward spiritually. If you have your Bibles, look at just in chapter 1 at some of these downward paths. In verse 3, it says he went down to Joppa. Verse 3, he went down into the underbelly or the beneath into the ship. Verse 15, it may have a little different word, but it says he went down into the sea. Verse 17, and then ultimately he went down into the belly of the great fish. It may not say down, but you get the concept. Anytime you run away from obeying God, it's never an upward. It's always down. When you run from God, you never go up. You always go down. A lot of people speculate why he did this. Well, basically, he just didn't want to do it. But there's something very revealing in Scripture, and I don't have it on the screen. You'll have to look in your Bible. But you see, basically, Jonah, the real reason is, is that, one, he hated these people, wicked, evil people. And he knew that if he went there and called them to repentance, guess what? He knew God would save them, and we would use that in our terminology. Well, isn't that the whole idea? But he didn't want them to do that. You say, well, how do you know that? Look in Jonah at the end of chapter 3, the beginning of chapter 4, okay? Jonah 3.10, it's not going to be on your screen. Now, this is kind of fast-forwarding a few weeks because he went there eventually and did that, and Nineveh had a great revival. Verse 10 of Jonah 3, when God saw what they did, talking about the Ninevites repenting, how they turned from their evil, from their evil way, God relented of the disaster that he said he would do to them, and he did not do that, okay? So they're spared. Grace, mercy of God, because... The city and the leaders, a great revival. Okay, chapter 4, verse 1. What did Jonah do? Was he happy? No. It displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he was angry. Now, I don't know about you, but I doubt he would get on the cover of some of our Christian magazines. You know, great revival in Brownsville, you know, Assembly of God, but the pastor there hates every minute of it. Now, that wouldn't really be, you know, you know, you know about some of these... That wouldn't be a good that wouldn't be a good image, right? He didn't do that. No. He he was really upset. 
Now listen to what he says in verse 2, very revealing, ultimately, of why he did not want to do this. And he prayed to the Lord and said, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was yet in my country? That is why I made haste, why I fled immediately to Tarshish, for I knew, I knew you would do this. I knew that you're a gracious God and merciful, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and relenting from disaster. That's why I didn't want to go. Because I knew you would do something crazy like this and be merciful and gracious to these people. Now we laugh because that's just so ridiculous, isn't it? He just, one, that tells me he knew more about God Right? He knew a lot about God because if he said, I know your character, I know who you are, and I know that if I did this, but the bottom line is, Lord, he says, I hate these people. I don't want to be near them, and I certainly don't want to spend eternity with them. So that's why I just chose to trump you on this one because I think I knew better than you. We've never. So let's don't even go there, right? He didn't want a God. He didn't want a God that loved people like that. Really, it was okay with him, perfectly fine, if God just sent him straight to hell. That was actually his preference. Sherry, I'm going to ask if you'd go ahead and come. We're going to close here. And I just remember this. As we go through the book of Jonah, and next week we'll pick up the path that Jonah took because there's just too much here to cram into a few minutes. <clears throat> remember this, if you just remember anything today. Jonah's problem was never ultimately about Nineveh. Jonah's problem, and maybe your problem. was with God. He didn't like how God rolled with grace. That's why I said God is always and will always be more gracious than we are. But don't we pray, Our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come. Thy will be done. On earth. Whose earth? Me as it is in heaven. My prayer every day is, God, to conform me into the reality of who I am positionally. Make that a reality in my life. Make me to have a heart of grace and mercy. Make my first response and my only response is that I'm here to do your will. 